and Dave Drilling Podcast. I'm Dave Bowers. With me, as always, is my co-host, uh, Brock Yorty. Hello, everyone. Uh, and uh, if you've been listening to these, you know, we, we're trying to uh, talk a little bit about how to develop uh, new personnel uh, and, and what we can do as experienced drillers uh, to help them move along. And I had a, a little experience this week with running a class for um, apprentices where I got to see where different people are in their progress, right? In the progression towards a career of drilling. Uh, and what I noticed is you can tell the people they're working with, the influence they have over them, because some of them are very nonchalant about getting some things done, and some of them you could really see have somebody that's like, hey, things have to happen at these at these paces. And uh, I happen to be, I'm the second type, you know, I don't wait very well, so, uh, it could be a little frustrating working through this, but getting them to understand, hey, in drilling, we don't have time. So you can see early on, or relatively early on, uh, who is taking their career and thinking, hey, this is a this is my future, and somebody who said, hey, I'm I'm making a wage, right? And uh, I think. That's something that we have to do as uh, people developing helpers, you know, six months in, eight months in, two weeks in, they should be hitting different stages where you can see their development. Everybody starts, it's a job, right? Everybody wants a paycheck, that's why we all go to work, right? But uh, you can see who's bought in and at what level. And uh, for a few of them, it was great to see. I have uh, one that had been a, a uh, troubled apprentice early on and still had some issues that came in to do some training on his own. He had, his contractor had uh, uh, a down and they give him some time off uh, to come and catch up. And he early on in his apprenticeship had been a trouble problem, right? a trouble child. Uh, Good Lord, you can see the difference in the kid now. He's been out working as a driller with things, the responsibility of a driller, right? Things falling on him, and it was like uh, a different kid, right? He was out there, and before I could say something, he's watching the rest of these apprentices, and before I could say, hey, you know, step up, the driller in him came out. Hey, you need to be over there. Hey, you know, and I thought, wow, that I, I hadn't, hadn't had the opportunity for a few months 
to, to work with this, this student. And, uh, I was impressed in, in the, the growth he had made. And it, and it was just growth from time to field. You know, so this is a perfect point. You know, Dave, your full-time job is to train, to develop, not only train water well, geothermal, geotechnical drillers, but you do hazardous waste, hazwopper stuff. You do um, the vac truck stuff. You work with the HDD guys. You can jump in a dozer. You know, you you are a trainer, right? And I, I aspire to work and be a trainer and I get to work with you and I, I get some time to develop people. So we're looking at next generation. We're looking at um, what we want to see. We, because when we have students come in, we want them to succeed. We want them to be better. And yes, we do have preconceived notions and we have the people that we look at and we go, what? you know, buddy, you probably ought to, you know, figure out what else you want to do. Because if you don't want to step in this mud puddle, you're really not going to enjoy this job. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's interesting for you to say, you know, a pre-apprentice to an apprentice to what year was this guy? Two uh, years? he's, he's a third year, third year. The kid is a kid is a third year, but his first year was problematic to say the least. Okay. So that's, if we, if we jump on social media or we go to a, a convention, all we hear is, yeah, we can hire some people. And, uh, first thing, uh, only one out of the eight could pass a drug test. And then we got him on the job and he was there two and a half or three weeks. And then he quit, you know, and he said he'd never do this job again. And you know what? I don't need him because he didn't know what the hell he was doing. And he, he wasn't fast enough for me and it's our culture, you know? And so, um, your third year who was problematic has now been on enough job sites and seen when things have gone right and when things have gone wrong. And that's the tribal learning, right? We, we could have, bestowed a lot of that on him in classes obviously our entire industry is field you know learn by fire field trained you know uh it's what we hear too often i don't want to read it in a book i want to go and do it you know and that that comes back to my favorite saying experience is what you get when you didn't get what you wanted you know and uh, we need experience for knowledge right so in this this big long point our training culture or our culture in general sucks. We, we want everybody that steps in to succeed because we, all we hear is we need more drillers. You know, there's this big project getting ready to happen. How many more people can you put on, you know, and it's this, this crazy concept that we can just scale, but if we, if we're not going to take the time to train. So now you have this third year who's been on a rig has, has been a driller. And this is the last point I want to make the driller dude. So, Hey, I need you to get over there now. I need you to do this now. And, uh, I'm working really hard with my teams right now. And, uh, you know, captain Fletcher and I talked about this a lot about outlining the day of tasks because we don't do it enough. And if we got a brand new person, Within three months of us every day saying, this is what we got to get done before noon. This is what we got to get done before we leave to go home today. Holy cow. Because 
there's so many moving parts, right? There's so much going on that how are we supposed to run down hole, maintain, you know, fluid volumes, continue everything that's happening on that platform, plus getting a loop ready or casing ready or making sure the valve gets shut off on the water truck. You know, and now, now your third year is clicking and it took three years, right? We couldn't get through to them as well as we could because our culture doesn't, we don't continue to train in the field, right? Well, you need to, you need, here's, here's what I, and I'll talk about this kid uh, specifically, right? His first year, you could see the talent. You could see the potential. He was his own worst enemy. He was in his own way. Not, not meeting the goals that he is set forth. The, our apprenticeship, the way it works, there are certain goals by certain times you have to reach. Uh, but on the job, everyone said he worked hard. He showed up on time, did those things, but he struggled with, I shouldn't say authority, but he, he, he didn't step up the way he could have all the time. And he had some personal conflicts with a few people he worked with that he didn't get along with until he found a uh, company that took a chance on him to do some stuff and gave him the opportunity to take self stock. And I like to say that my job teaching that this is a little teaching drilling is relatively easy. Training drilling is hard because training involves the thought process. Teaching involves here's what lever you pull when, but beyond that, it's up to us to guide men. We have to be trainers of men, not trainers of drilling. And uh, same kid came in. He was going to do some of his final proficiency testing. This same period of time we're talking about. Yesterday was one of them. And it was not going well because his, His work ethic is good. His talent is fine. Uh, but his experience level is still third year. And it didn't go the way he had thought. It. He thought he was going to come in and he was going to rip out these last few things. And it wasn't going well. I was working with the other group and, and Derek was, was over with, uh, with him and I was looking from, I was helping them learn to core rock. And I was watching from the step what was going on over at the other rig. Uh, again, right, driller, you're trying to take the entire job, you know, the entire job in at once. So I'm helping this guy and I'm watching what's going on in the step. And Derek, since he's testing, can't talk to him. Really? Well, he can't, he can talk to him, but he can't guide him. If he guides him, test is over because you just, this is what you know. 
You're working with a helper. Your helper, you have to, you are supposed to uh, guide him through every process. He can, your helper can be experienced. He can do whatever you tell him to do, but you must guide him to do it. Because we're trying to test, do you understand the entire process? Do you understand that this has to be done, then that has to be done, and we're going to do this? While you're drilling, right, come back to focus. Are you able to take in the entire job site? So uh, I'm watching. I can see it's not going well. I see why it's not going well. Uh, and it was uh, he overlooked something early on uh, and got a little. He was setting his he was setting his surface casing and he got a little bit maybe a little bit quick. So surface casing didn't wind up quite as plumb and true as it needed to be. Yep. And I saw him start to pull surface casing. So I knew things went really bad because it's the timing of this, you really have to be uh, right on to get what he needed to get done. You, so, you have so a walk, walk us through this, this proficiency. How much time do you have? How does it start and stop? And then we'll come back to where you were on this story. Because right. I wanna, you know, we don't, again, do we train the way we fight or do we fight the way we train? And outside of a training facility for the local 150 in Chicago, one of the largest operator unions in the world, we don't do things like this, right? That, that surface casing is on a money job. And that struggle is a much bigger deal than what this gentleman has going on right now. So walk us through this proficiency real quick. All right. So this, he was doing a, a rotary drilling, mud rotary drilling proficiency. Uh, so he's got to set his casing, uh, surface casing anyway. He's got to set a surface casing, seal it, mix mud, properly test his mud. Okay. Uh, and then drill down and tap the top of the rock about 75 feet, not real deep. Uh, and depending on which rig he's using and what, if he's using a geotechnical rig to do the same thing, there's a little bit different timing. Uh, he's got a sample every five feet the way down after he after 25 feet because it's set up so that the top 25 on an earlier test, you would have tested. You would have been able to sample. Uh, on a, a geotech rig or, not, or a geothermal or water well rig, all he's got to do, he's got to open hole down so the time changes. So he has three hours from the time he starts to raise the mast to have a surface casing in, uh, mix his mud, test it, tap the top of the rock. That's what he's got. And it's in my, it's 75 feet. In my opinion, uh, on a water wheel rig, that is easily doable. He has about another half hour if he uses a geotech rig. He was using a geotech rig. Hey, hold on. Uh, so 
So you've got three hours with a water wall rig to tap the top of the rock after mixing mud, do all that stuff. You're using a geotechnical rig. You get about another half hour to cover the time to sample. You're not doing quite as large diameter of a hole, so it cuts a little faster. So it worked around. Now, he was using a geotech rig because the company he works for, that's what he's used to. Um, to do mud so when I see him, they do mud rotary all the time. They don't do augering. They don't do a lot of soil sampling. They're uh, primarily a coring company. They work in a lot of mines. They do a lot of stuff like that. Coring is their main thing that they do. Um, so he thought he was going to come in and he was going to rip out his rotary proficiency, coring proficiency all yesterday and be caught up to where he, he had to be. And so I see him pulling the surface casing. And I could see he was all bent out of shape. He was angry, which is one of the things he had a problem with early on. And rather than uh, letting anyone else do it, I didn't want Derek really, because Derek doesn't have a lot of history with him. Derek's only been with us for a year, and I've had him since the beginning. I paused the, the kid that I, we were working with. We were, we were positioned that he could didn't need any oversight. And I walked over to him, and he's actively angry. And I said, uh, what's going on? Casing's not straight. Okay. Well, whose fault is that? This is mine. Yeah. Okay. Well, what I want you to do, pull it out. Fine. Your test is over. You understand that? Yes, I do. Okay. Pull forward. Pull forward. Reset up. I want you to make me a straight hole and put the casing in. And after you do that one, pull forward and do it again. Because yesterday, when you were practicing, was your casing straight? Not perfectly. Okay. Well, so you fought that hole a little bit. You're costing money on a real job when you fight the hole. You're costing yourself heartache, and you're costing, you're getting paid by the foot, or worst case scenario for his company where they get paid to core, they get paid a bulk single rate to set the casing to that depth, and then they're paid by for the core. I says, if this is going on here, I know what's going on in the field where you're struggling to keep things straight enough for you to be able to core. Do me a favor. Now, that diffused him because it went from, man, I'm mad that this happened to, damn it, he's right. He knows that I'm that occasionally I start. Now, he's still a third-year apprentice. I don't really know how long and how often he gets to be the guy on the rig. I was impressed with his growth that you could see him looking around and because obviously I was teaching coring at the time. And, you know, oh, I know that. Hey, you need to be here. You need to do this, right? I was impressed with that. But at the same time, you saw he wasn't where in his mind when he walked in, he thought he was that guy when he's still this guy.
Right. Uh, and that's and that's okay. The driller or the the company owner or that should see that that this is where their progression is. Most people will think, "Hey, I'm here." You need to find a way to just gently guide them back to show them where they are. The the well, you and I came up uh, under what the hell is wrong with you? What, what, right? Uh, what are you doing here? What are you, an idiot? Well, uh, Chuck Yorty didn't, you know, do that to me, but, you know, the other employees, you know, I'm the son of the company. So, yeah, let him break it, let him smash it. And then it was, how did you let that happen? And me saying, well, Mark, let me do it. You know, yeah, well, and, and really, no one let you do it. They might have said, hey, uh, yeah, try this. And you didn't have the experience at that point to go, hey, bad idea. Or even if sometimes, you know, there's that thing in the back of your head where you hear the back of your head say, eh, I don't know if we should do this. And when you're inexperienced, you don't listen to that. The more experience you get, that guy gets smarter than one in the back of your head. And then you get smarter as well to listen to him. I, I think it's more about, you know, you'll, you'll take more risks when you're younger. And when you get more experience and older, that thing in the back of your head is more about if I bend this mast, if I lose this tool down the hole, if I do this, I'm adding X amount of time to my day that's not going to be positively impacting my bottom line. So, you know, for me, that's where I go when I'm like, this is the moment you throw a piece of plywood over the hole while you're breaking out that bit to get your next bit, you know, where sometimes you think, I, I'm not gonna lose a table bushing down the hole because you know, I'm, I'm that good, right? And, uh, I want to steer us in the direction of, so this third year, he's learning. He, uh, he's got to practice some more before he comes back and takes his test. Obviously, this isn't costing a job. We don't have a customer upset. With him being third year, how was his safety? How, uh, you know, now that he's been in the field, he's been away from him, how, how did that go? Uh, safety wise, it's hard always to say, I hear more than I see issues with their safety. They know where they are. They know they're at my facility and they act accordingly. Occasionally you see somebody, uh, do something that they, they know they shouldn't do. Uh, example. use a shovel next to a turning auger, something I don't allow at the site. In the field, did we do it? Yeah, in the field, do I know other people are doing it? Yes. Is it something that should be done? No, because the worst headline there could ever be for us is someone hurt or killed at training facility. You can't allow that to happen. So we take it very seriously. We go out of our way to make sure that we do things right. I know when they get to the field, they see other things. So what normally happens 
is I hear conversations between apprentices that clue me in to where I find out I have to address this safety scenario or that safety scenario. So um, him personally, wearing all his stuff and, and doing everything the correct way, save for maybe some ergonomics backwise to where uh, once he was angry, there was, you know, things were, that was why I walked over. Things were maybe uh, leaving his hand in a such a way that I didn't like it where he was throwing casing on the ground and this or that. You could tell he was upset. Um, but I normally find safety things in stories because if I see a safety thing, I'll shut everything down. We'll pull everybody aside. Hey, this can't happen. And usually, you know, every morning I still do a safety meeting and we talk about what we're going to do. In this case, we're going to have high uh, RPM rotary, loud noises because, you know, the Maybe some of our rigs are not the quietest thing in the world. I One of the rigs that are running has a Deutz diesel. I, I think the only thing worse is an old Detroit than a Deutz diesel, but both of them are not, you know, known for their quietness. Um, so we talk about those things, and I expect them to embrace the safety side of it. And right now, you know, I'll tell you where the biggest safety, and I did see a little safety issue with him, and I've been seeing it with, with everybody. And now it used to be the thing I said the most often was don't put your hand there. Used to be. Now the one I say the most often is put your face mask up because it's, it's down here, and I'm like, hey, get your face mask up because they have to wear face masks all day. Yeah, right? we, call that, we call that term dick nose. Uh, okay. When you, when you wear your, uh, no, I, I, I understand the term. I just wasn't going to go there, but okay. Um, uh, so, you know, it's obviously training new hires, helpers, you know, or assistant drillers to drillers. Um, you know, this Tuesday, because the first Monday of every month we do a, a, safety training and this one will be on Tuesday because we're, we're all off because it's, uh, you know, this is our Labor Day podcast, you know, though I'm sure most of you are listening to this in December and 2021 or something. Um, so we're going to do our safety training and I'm always looking for new, new ways to get to people, new ways of thinking. And a few months ago, you had an article on, uh, Cooper's Code or Cooper's Colors, and uh, I I presented it to uh, the Wells Group of Senior Management, and then I've uh, I've presented it to um, a couple other lines with the uh, the guidance of your your article and some things we've talked about offline, but I think it's a very intuitive way for us to train safety. And I appreciate you you writing this article and uh, bringing it to us because uh, Cooper's Colors or Cooper's Code is Jeff Cooper. He is a badass. He um, United States Marine went to uh, the Pacific 
during World War II, got promoted, went to Korea, uh, got promoted again, and then ended up leaving the Marines and going and getting his, uh, his master's because he, he couldn't stay in the field. He was like, I want to be, he did um, special warfare and tactics in Korea. So this guy, as getting promoted, still wanted to be in the mud. And uh, one, one thing with the, the Cooper's Code and Cooper's Colors is, you know, it's a situational awareness training. And I'm going to let Dave get into it. But everybody says, well, it's, it's what the Navy SEALs used and it's what the police officers use and stuff. And it's, yes, can we use these colors for that? Absolutely. But does it apply to our line of work where crushing, amputation, electrocution, falls, suffocation are every day, are possibilities every day, without a doubt. So with that, Dave, um, let's talk about training with uh, Cooper's Code or Cooper's Colors. Well, I'd like to start with it quote from Colonel Jeff Cooper, right? And, and if you apply this to what we do, I think it really works. If you find yourself in a fair fight, your tactics suck, <laughs> right? We should have the advantage. Uh, I always tell my apprentices, I always told my helpers, it's dirt or it's steel, we can't let it outsmart us, right? So. We need to find ways to work safely, do what our, our customers and our employers or um, contractors need us to do over the course of the day, whatever that may be. It could be drilling, it could be carrying the mail. Uh, this has been applied mostly, and this is where I learned it, uh, to police officers, special forces, those kind of things. I sat in a, um, a training class with a uh, Chicago State or a Chicago uh, police officer in a safety training thing that he taught Cooper's Code. And it got me thinking, could we use this to, uh, to apply to, to drilling, to what we do? And I decided that, yeah, we could. And it breaks it down to be a series of colors. Starts out white. And white focus, I'm not focused at all. Think of the snow on an old TV set, showing my age again, when it's not tuned in. Because, you know, we used to always try to tune in on TV or something, you know, when it was... When it was uh, on the VHF channels, you were trying to tune it in, and, and all you get is snow, and then it would come in, but you really couldn't see anything. And that's kind of where you're at. You, you're there, you're present, but you're really not tuned into anything. Uh, a lot of times, maybe early in the morning, or you've been working a lot of hours, and you wind up at work in the morning, and you think, I don't remember the drive that I got here, you were in white focus and you were probably a danger to yourself and other people during that. You went through the uh, perfunctory function of driving there. But, you know, you made the decisions, you turned, you didn't drive off the road, but you weren't focused in on anything. We should never be in white focus during a drill job. 
Then it goes to a yellow focus. And now yellow focus, I can see and concentrate on anything. You and I right now in this podcast, we're having to think about what we're talking, looking at each other. We're in yellow focus. Uh, I'm not so focused in that I don't you know, see the different things in my shop or if in your case, uh, you know, your phone beeped or something, you're going to hear it. And we should spend the majority of our day, you know, 10 to 12 hours should be in that. I see everything going on. I'm hearing everything going on. I know what my helper's doing, right? And it's, uh, that's where we want to work. Then so we wait, go wait, yellow. So we're in yellow. What in tasks, yellow. what tasks am I doing in yellow? I'm drilling in yellow, right? When I'm drilling, I'm listening to everything. I'm mixing mud. I'm uh, prepping. Uh, if I'm a helper, right? I'm prepping a loop or I'm getting uh, casing ready or I'm something where I want to make sure that I look at this task that I'm doing, but I want to see what's the rig doing, uh, what's my helper doing, are they going to do something that, that they're going to set, set something in a bad place to where it's going to be difficult for us to reach. Right? I had that the other day with casing. I told them to set something up, and I stepped up on the, on the rig, and I said, okay, Explain to me your thought process. You put this here and that there. Isn't this in the way of backing? The, and they're like, <sighs> and I'm like, these are things. You, it's not just one thing. You have to see the entire job site. Think of the tool pusher, right? The tool pusher doesn't see the individual pressure gauge that you're looking at. He sees what you're doing, where you're at. When I was a helper. Uh, I would be looking as I was writing log or doing whatever I'm doing, I'm watching the top head to see where it's at. Because when the top head reaches uh, the bottom of the hole of the stroke, I need to be somewhere else. Sure. That's yellow focus, right? You still see everything. And then we go to what's called orange focus. Okay. And we, Orange focus, now I've keyed in on one particular thing. So like tripping uh, pipe. Right. But I shouldn't stay in yellow focus for more than 45 minutes at a time. So even on a long focus. trip. You don't want to stay in orange focus. for yeah. Not for more than 45 minutes at a time. But if you think about it, I'm in orange focus while I'm tripping. When I'm hooking up, right, when we're – when we're hooking to it, whether we're hooking a top head or we're hooking a swivel to it to hoist it or whatever, when we're tripping, I'm in orange focus for that. I have time as we hoist or as we bring it up, I have time to take stock of everything that's going on for another, you know, even if it's 30 seconds or whatever, I can take a look around. And then when I'm then going to, to set it, whether I'm tripping it out, putting it in a rod rack, whatever, I'm back in orange focus, right? I'm focusing on that. But we shouldn't have a task that keeps us in orange focus for longer than 45 minutes at one time. Because uh, as people, they, they say they have short attention spans, right? But it's not attention span. Your brain isn't equipped to put full concentration into something for that period of time. 
So, you know, I think that's the big misconception with applying Cooper's colors or Cooper's code to our industry or any industry is I believe that, you know, you're going to get into red and black in a moment. You know, the, we have white, yellow, orange, red, and black. And when I first read your article and it says I need to be in yellow for eight to 10 hours, it's the majority of my day, not that I'm going to start a task and I'm going to do that task for eight to 10 hours, you know, and your, your orange focus tripping, you're right. You have some time where you can, you're widening your focus back out. Your situational awareness is everything on site again. And then I make that next connection and I start to lift out or I'm, I'm running the hoist plug and my colleague has grabbed the pipe and he's pulling it back. Now we're back into that, that focus of that task at hand. Over the entire day. And just think about your work. Your focus goes here in and out all the time, right? I need this focus for the most time because when something goes wrong, I need to see it even if that's not where I happen to be. I'm drilling, I'm listening to it, whatever. I hear a strange sound at the crown. I need to I need to notice it. Right? I hear the engine miss. I need to notice that. Uh, so that's yellow focus, but in orange focus, we're we're just a little narrower, right? We're looking at that one task. The next one to go to, that red focus, right? Three to five minutes. All right. So what Three task? To five minutes. Tell so we're now we've went from now I've got now red. I've got someone's hands in a position to where they could get hurt. Uh, I like to say the table, but even though it seems perfunctory, uh, opening and closing the table, I want to be in red focus, right? As someone's pulling pulling something out of the table, putting something in the table, I'm putting it in a clamp. We're we're uh, we're landing uh, casing on on the table uh, in order to weld it. All that that's going to put us in red focus. But we don't want more than three to five minutes in red focus. Uh, the longer you go in red, the more dangerous it is because I can't in red focus because I have to be so intent on the thing directly in front of me. I don't see. What's going on elsewhere? Uh, three to five minutes max. And I'd like to see three to five minutes for the day in red because even uh, doing something like that, we only might be 10, 15 seconds in red. And then I'm back out of it to, to check. Even welding, right? I'm welding. Uh, whether I want to be in red focus or not, that welding mask puts me in red focus. So as I'm welding and I'm listening, I I have to change a rod, right? I widen my focus. And during during welding casing, you might go longer than that three to five minutes, but the only process going on at that time is that welding. There's nothing, no other moving parts. So maybe we can extend it for that time. But, uh, you know, and, and none of these are so concrete 
that you can't uh, that you can't modify a little bit. Because again, remember this is my adaptation of this to drilling. So uh, what I want to avoid though is that that laser focus on something. And usually when here's when something goes horribly wrong, we wind up in that laser focus. Or worse, we go to the next one and we're going black. We don't want to ever plan for anything in black because instead of looking at this in black, I can see this one thing, even smaller, nothing on the outside of it. And usually that something's went horribly wrong. And when you wind up either in red focus for, uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes, or you wind up in black for a minute, you come away exhausted. Right. Uh, physically may not have taken anything out of you. We all had that day that mentally just beat us to death. Sure. And, sure. you know, I've, I've been uh, doing a repair or having trying to gently fishing is a, is a time where you go into that red focus when you're trying to figure out, okay, am I, are we, are we on it? Are we over it? Or as you're pulling it out and you have it just a little bit, Right, and it and as it comes out, you see you just barely have it, and you have to grab with something else, or you don't lose it. And if it vibrates, it goes back down the hole. Uh, those moments are gonna be red, or maybe even black focus. Although we we never plan for black, we we do everything we can to stay out of black, because again black like white is nothing black is so keyed on in one thing that you don't see anything else and that's you know uh, in emergency situations we uh we go into that and uh, that's why we can't account for everything that just happened right and because you don't know what happened right and your body's going to go into red but here's the here's the thing that that people don't understand there are times where I might go into red for this one function, but you have somebody doing the same task as I am exactly, no change, but they have more or less experience than I do and are more comfortable maybe with that task. So I go into red for it. Someone with more experience than me may be able to stay in orange during that task. And or that's someone how or and someone with less experience with me may go into black during that task. So the and so this is where this is where it comes to you know my teams in the field. I'm terrified to have a group that somebody can be in orange, red and black on the same task because of lack of experience or lack of respect for the task at hand. So now that we've, we've covered these colors, you know, drilling operations where the bits turn into the right and we're uh, filling the mud pit and whatnot, we're looking at all tasks at hand and we're, we're in yellow. We go to trip, we break out a bit, we add a rod, instantly, you know, orange tasks. You know, not too tedious, you know, um, we need to respect what's happening. We still have to have a wider frame just to make sure, you know, everything else is going on and we respect that. Reds, 
Reds, we ought to huddle up and talk about every time. And we, we as a team should all be in red regardless of I've done – I've run a cat head for 30 years because that's the thing, right? Uh, the, the reason my pinky is mangled the way it is is because I got comfortable with a cat head, you know, and I'm lucky I was wearing gloves and uh, that it just it just yanked it. And it I, I, I had uh, the cat head is one of the more dangerous things that anyone's going to ever be involved with. Um, I had a gentleman that that had 25 years of experience. And thought, well, you know, it's, it's, you know, a little rain, this or that, uh, it'll be all right. And wound up with his arm one and a half times around the cat head. Now, most cat heads now, they don't, uh, they aren't mechanically driven. They're mostly hydraulic now. But, uh, you know, there's still those mechanical driven cat heads out there. And unless you're strong enough to stop the engine, and most people aren't, Right, uh, they're going to do a lot of damage. Even the even the hydraulic ones that don't really have near the pull that the old mechanical ones did. If you get in there, it's going to crush things. Right, if you get between that chain or that rope uh, and that cat head, it's going to it's going to beat things up and crush things. Uh, cat heads are one of the more useful things that we have but also one of the more terrifying. Right? Yeah. If you don't respect uh, them, they'll bite you. But but here's the thing. Um, different levels of experience. Now, you're right. Everybody should be in red when it's time to be in red. But on those oranges, you want that driller to still be able to be in yellow. Right, because they go his his the rest of his team goes to orange. He should be in yellow, or the opposite side of that. When he knows I'm going to have to be in orange, he should make sure he has a during morning safety meeting, whatever. Hey, when we do this, I want you to watch these other things that I know I'm not going to be able to to watch, and it, it's. None of this is new. This is all stuff we're already doing. It's a new way to look at it. It's a way to break it down into its individual uh, focus levels so that we know how much focus it takes to do any task that we do, depending on we have a two-man crew, a three-man crew. Uh, uh, we're going to know. So when we do those things, we, we can cover them in the morning meeting, and that's kind of what – my article was all about was, hey, plan your day out, plan those tasks out that you commonly do and figure out what focus guys should be in. And if they're going to be in red, is there an alternative? Is there a way to do it to that can avoid red focus and keep it in orange or yellow? If we can be in orange or yellow focus all day long, we're going to be productive and we're going to be safe. And that's really, you know, those two things are the entirety of what we strive for. We strive for productivity because that's what gets us paid and safety because that's what 
keeps us from paying money out and from the people we've put money and effort and heart into from getting them hurt. And we have to look at, at them if it was something that we did or at a spouse, if it's a horrible thing that happened and say, you know, yep, I, I should have covered that. And even if we've done everything that we should, the person in charge, whether it be the owner, tool pusher, driller, or maybe all three of them, you know, that's what we have to remember. They have emotional stock in this, right? What I like to call emotional liability. It's not financial liability. I have emotional liability. I'm going to feel responsible for anything that happens under my watch. And that includes if it happens to me, if it happens to someone working underneath me and any decent owner. And we have a thousand wonderful people or, or thousands of wonderful people in this industry, because, you know, when you go to these these shows, uh, you talk to people, that's what you come away with. You know, almost all of them are genuine, great people. They just need, uh, they just need people that they feel good about to work with them. And that's what I think we're trying to do is help them gain some knowledge that will help them develop those people because you know that farm kid they always like to talk about all this farm kid you know what the development was done for them right that that the 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 father or or uncle or or grandfather that he worked on the farm was doing that development for him and we're in a new era where that development now has been shifted to we're going to have to do that that development in my case that's one of the things that we're trying to do we try to do some development early on uh because first thing and you've been there the first thing i teach my pre-apprentices if the company doesn't make money there's no reason for us to exist Right? So that's the first thing. You have to look at their bottom line. How do they make money? Because if they make money, they'll provide you with a career. Here's the but, deal. I, I fully agree they got to make money. But I've, I've shifted gears from that over the last couple of years to uh, any unsafe act that could speed up the job to, you know, show that we can be more profitable a any injury outweighs any sort of profit we could have made for that year you know and that's the well the that's kind of where i'm getting with this right they need to make money and part of that is that safety to, to reduce that personal liability that they have as well as the financial liability someone gets hurt financially it weighs on them and that keeps them from making money but if we can reduce that personal liability too everybody gets tighter everybody gets stronger together so uh and then you know a good owner of a company will never tell you to cut a corner Usually the person that wants to tell you to cut a corner is maybe that mid experience or low experience driller that is attempting to, he wants to look good. 
he will, oh man, I need this to come in. They'll cut a corner. Uh, usually a good owner of a company doesn't want cut, corners cut because he understands just what you said. An injury costs me so much more than any production that you could make up by cutting corners. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if we can develop good men and women, find smart ways to train them safely, train, train the safety as the key component. If it's using Cooper's code, if it's tailgate talks, if it's, uh, I, I've been saying I want hungry, humble, and smart employees. But beyond that, you know, I want employees that want to question everything that's happening on a job site. And that's hard because our culture says, you haven't been here. You don't know how we do it. You don't know because you haven't, you haven't, we've already tried that, you know, and I want my team to collaborate. You know, I want to break the stigma of the driller um, knows best mentality. The driller is the best. He's the pilot. He's the captain. He ensures everybody else is safe. She ensures everybody else is safe. We, we have each other's back on that site. But the new guy that's been here six months, he or she should be able to, at the end of the day, not during the middle of the task, but on that windshield time home, go, have we considered, you know, getting a breakout basket? Have we, have we looked at this? What about, you know, um, us laying the job site out just a little bit different and have that discussion? Because I think that's the the core to developing a helper into a driller is allowing them to have reciprocal discussions because there's going to be a point where they have to be able to make decisions. Those decisions can be good or bad. Being able to take what you give these men and women, uh, saying tripping out is in orange focus, uh, breaking out a bit is in red focus, and having that collaboration so that they know that day they have to step on the platform, I can make a decision because I've been able to critically think about this. Because I think that's the, the third component here. You know, as we look at safety and we look at training and stuff is we don't train them to think. Too often we stand on the platform and shout, point, do it this way, dummy. You know, we don't, if we don't train them to think on day one, how do we ever expect them to be able to take control? Well, I think it comes back to teaching leadership. (laughs) No, no, no. It's seriously, it's one of the things that through the FAA that they teach. Leadership is not the same as command. We have to have somebody in command, and that would be the driller, right? There has to be a command structure. So it's driller, driller's assistant, whatever helpers you have, right? That's command structure. But leadership 
is understanding because I'm the doer and I have the final say so, I also need input. I can't say I have the final say so, I can do it all. It's my decision, my way or the highway. There's those times where maybe that is the end result, but first you have to take everybody's ideas and opinions and feedback in. So that question that you talked about where, can we do it this way? Hey, we've done it that way before, and not just, no, we've done it that way. Okay, we've done it that way, and here's what we found doesn't work when you do it that way. Either it's A, uh, you know, this gets gets damaged, or it actually doesn't save time because of this, you know, whatever the situation is. But you have to hear that from them and engage back, not with just the command. Nope, I'm in command. This is what we're doing. Leadership shows, hey, all right, I've heard you, and now I'm going to respond. Here's why we're not going to – maybe, hey, that could work, but we don't have the right tooling to do it that way this time. Let's work on later trying to get the right tooling. Oh, yeah, we don't have that bit basket that we would need. You're right. Maybe I can make one up at the shop that would work next time we do this when we have some free time. That helps that person that is the subordinate feel they've been heard. And two, it helps them understand, okay, if I'm looking around the job and I see something, my driller is open to hearing what I have to say about it. Uh, and you're right. It's not easy all the time to, uh, to say, yeah, okay, let me, let me talk about it. You know, cause we're in a hurry. We're, we're getting paid. We're on a tight time frame, but uh, on occasion, you know, you and I both the same way. I've learned from apprentices to that approach a problem that I'm like, that's not the way I would do it. But I'm not trying to make uh, a thousand copies of me. Thank goodness. That's I figured you'd say it. Um, what I want is to get them the best that they can be right? They may all, some, none, wind up better than me in the long run. doesn't matter to me. The guidance is what matters, to guide them to get there. I want them to succeed. I want everybody to listen to this podcast to succeed in, in their drilling endeavors and their other endeavors. And I think the stuff that we're talking about is universal. The Cooper's Code, you talked about using Cooper's Code or tailgate talks. Those aren't two mutually exclusive things. If you believe that you can use Cooper's Code to get through to somebody, you know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of uh, people that under, do shooting and stuff. That's what Cooper's Code was made for. It might get through to somebody a little more if you could break it down into those terms, right? So if I know something about you, maybe my tailgate talk, I talk about drinking beer and we, you know, okay, it's this task is like drinking an IPA. I must be mad at my mouth. Oh, wait, that would be me. Um, this task, right, is like this. It's a, you, something you're going to sip. You can't go fast. You're going to have to go easy on this task because, you know, this task is 
uh, 9% in this task is a Miller Lite, right? Sure. If you brought it up that way, some people are going to respond. Have I still used Cooper's code? Sure. Did I, did I make it, did I make it so that, uh, the audience may understand what we're saying? And then, you know, I go that way. And then the guy tells me, Oh, I'm an alcoholic. Thanks a lot. Right. So there's no, it's not, there's no situation that, that, that's a simple plug-in. But if you take the things that we're talking about and you mold them to be used, the ideas are what we want to come away with. Right? So, and I think uh, next, the next podcast, we should bring back on Captain Fletcher because, uh, you know, Jake is in his late 20s, um, just transitioned from active duty air force to air national guard uh, is starting his construction management career wants to be in drilling. But, you know, we, we talk about training people to be able to think, you know, um, the drilling for the air force had traditionally been a non-commissioned officer, you know, um, a master sergeant or a chief was who ran that. And they, inserted an officer in there because there's a, a chain of command and leadership that, you know, it's easier for a captain or a lieutenant to request something when you're deployed than it is for a chief to get what they need. And uh, Jake being younger than most of the men he was leading talked about adaptive leadership or adaptive management. And that's looking at how do I get through to you guys? How can we work together? How can we, and, um, you know, Jake out on these rigs, though an officer would be in the middle of the foam, would be in the middle of the mud. I think we should bring him on and talk about leadership, adaptive management, because you're right. We, we have to figure out how to get through to our men and women on the job sites. And um, I think this should be our final point for today uh, that we discuss. Sometimes we don't know where somebody's coming from. Just like you, the, your joke about we're gonna, you know, this is the IPA task and this is the Miller Lite task. Oh, why would you say that to me? I'm, you know, I'm recovering from substance abuse. Uh, most of the cross-threaded situations I've gotten into in my career have been because I didn't know where somebody else is coming from. Yes, there's jerks out there, and there are people that are going to be blockers and whatnot. And that can be a whole nother hour that we talk about. But, you know, recently I'm on a job. There's an engineer who uh, has a, created a scope to this job that's I wasn't here when we bid the job and put the job into place. And now we're trying to wrap it up and develop. And uh, it's a million dollar development process. There's no place to capture water. The water has to be 30 NTUs before it can be released. We developed reverse air for two weeks, got the well clean, put the turbine pump in, 
kicked it on, bumped it up to 1,500 gallons a minute, and the water started coming out at 1,000 NTUs. And NTU is a national turbidity unit. Um, we will see this as a bigger thing throughout our country. We're not just going to be able to dump development water and, and develop the ways we have because we have clean water responsibilities. We have responsibilities to our environment. But so this engineer, I, I have always said as an industry that we're, we can work with our engineers. You know, if we're having a problem, look within, we can do this because they're giving us the science end while we give them the field end. And there's always middle ground. And maybe I'm thankful, but this is the first design engineer that I've met that I couldn't find the middle ground. You know, everything from back in December, as we were getting ready to run casing, he wanted us to run a sure shot five additional times. I'm not going to set 20 inch casing to 1600 feet in a crooked hole. That's going to not get my casing to bottom. Like that's not, if, if I'm positive that my hole straight, you got to let me go. That's not your responsibility. You know, we've already done the deviation test. We've already done the logs. So it started there. Well, recently we start the development process and we, we have just got tools on bottom. We've run the compressor for 40 minutes. Emails, text messages coming out. We need an update immediately. We need to know where you, what depth you have the airline and uh, what do you have for water coming out of the hole. And I, I wrote an email that said, gentlemen, the development process will be slow and methodical. Thus, the reason it's called development. We are developing this well. It's going to start dirty and we're going to continually clean up until we're confident that we have the best productivity possible. Email comes back from him five minutes later. Uh, we don't need you to educate us on development. We're really sick of how you've talked down to us this entire job process. And in the questions that this man has asked, I felt that I need to educate him because I was trying to be best foot forward. What I didn't realize is when he shot this email that was a little bit nastier than that, his mother had just passed away. And so I, he was in, he was in a position and uh, good thing it wasn't 35 year old Brock because 35 year old Brock would have told him, you know, get off my job site. Don't. And sadly we have gotten to that point where don't talk to my crew. You want to talk, you talk through the engineering firm or the customer, and we will get you the information you need. Uh, but I, I should have looked more into why, why is, and maybe this entire job he's been dealing with his mother being sick or something well, like that. I have a simple question. Is there an owner's rep on the job, an owner's representative? Um, I don't want to get into too many particulars, but this no, is, I am just, this is all, a bad here's, here's why I bring that up. The engineer's job is to give you specs to meet. Right. Usually when you get a spec that's unrealistic to meet, 
you are dealing with someone with either limited experience or somebody who knows a problem that they've had before and they're attempting their attempt to solve that problem tends to be to go overboard on things that a drilling contractor would think that doesn't make sense why would we do it that way so i think your response to try to educate them might be might have been sound uh but I think I would I would um, want to remind them that here are the here are the specs that we are going to meet, and we will update you at these times. Uh, remind them what the that their job was design, your job is delivery. Uh, because when someone on on the theoretical side gets involved in the delivery side it's almost always problematic not not uh, 100% of the time but because there's so many moving parts in drilling and all they know is the finished part they're going to want to question it right and it, it really comes back to a collaborative process and we're in a self-taught industry that our means and methods are not documented the way they should be. And there are plenty of drilling companies out there that a development phase is, you know, a day or a two, and then the pump de develops the rest. And I've always believed that the best time that I'm going to get on that production zone is in the screen, swabbing, jetting, surging, dual disc, you know, reversing that stuff out is going to be the best possible situation. And uh, it's what it takes to make the best, the best well possible. I, you know, it's funny because this last nine months of my career working on these larger scale systems in the Southeast, um, I used to go, I can't believe a drilling company will charge a development phase for a well. You know, I'd always built it in. I suddenly understand why in the Southeast they do that because our tribal industry has so many different ways of finishing a well that we, we have to have an additional spec or we have to ask you know, additional questions. Now, where my airline is while I'm doing that, none of your business. Because uh, if we could have stayed cordial, I'd have given you the entire thing. Matter of fact, I could have said, hey, why don't you go look at 2019's article on development? And you would see exactly my means, my methods, what I want to get into. And then we can all come out here and talk about it because I want the industry to be better. But when we both decided to cross thread, I, I don't have time for that, right? And in the full circle, it's exactly what we do with employees. We can either take the time, develop them right, invest in them. And remember, we need to know where they're coming from. If there is a substance abuse issue, um, you know, did, 
did they make a mistake in high school and end up going and spending a couple of years in prison? If they're there, they're hungry and they're humble and they're smart. It's not my responsibility what happened in the past. I have to give them the best opportunity possible. You know, I want to develop them just as well as I want to develop as well. It's just um, how do we get there? What what investment do we put? Right, and and I I agree. The uh, like I said, a trainer of men, which is part of develop developing men. One of the I talked about him last time. One of the uh, most inspiring things I ever saw. And it didn't turn out the way that I thought it was going to is we had a gentleman that had a substance abuse problem at a company I worked. The owner of the company, uh, the same gentleman that I talked about last time, Dominic Sinabazi, came to him after, I don't know, he missed another day or whatever it was that it happened. It was bad. And we thought that he was going to let him go. And he came to him and he said, yeah, you're not you're not going to probably be working for the next few days, but uh, I if if you'll let me, I'm going to pay to help you. I'm going to do whatever you've worked for me for a long time. I'm going to do whatever it takes for me to help you. And I was inspired by that. Unfortunately, the person who was not inspired by that was the person that had a problem and couldn't get over it. And so he he agreed to Dominic. He'd let him help him, left and went to work for a different company the next day. Right. But I was inspired by that was the tack that Dominic took. He was fed up. He had had it. But this gentleman worked for him for over 10 years and had some talent that was going away because of his problem that was out of his control at this point. You know, I, I, everybody's had too much to drink once in a while, but when it gets to the point you can no longer function, you must do something as, as we all kind of know. And uh, that was Dominic's move for that. And I, it, I thought that was a great lesson for a young person such as myself in the right way to treat people. Right to try to do everything you can to to uh, to help them out, and but ultimately they have to help themselves. And it's the same thing. We're talking safety on this. Right? And I like to think bring things back to safety. I think this is going to be my last thing I say. Um, and I'm going to go back to Colonel Jeff Cooper. Colonel Jeff Cooper says that safety is a thing that happens in your head between your ears. It's not something you do, or he said something you hold in your hand. But I think that's what we're really talking about. It doesn't matter. We can talk, teach, whatever, until we get them to make good decisions, both on the job site and for safety. Those are the same things. That decision-making process is the same thing, to make the right decision for the situation of hand drilling and the right decision for safety. It's the same thing we're at. We're after. We teach them here. They take it from here and they'll put it here eventually. So we have to keep putting it here as often as possible until it starts coming out of here. And I think that's all I got. 
That's uh, that's perfect. Um, you know, back to developing drillers. You're right. It's it's all up in it's it's how we develop that mind, and everything else is going to come up around. And um, as a leader, as somebody that wants to see as many people as possible get into this industry, you know, I've started. Um, I really like uh, Leaders Eat Last and the Infinity Game by Simon Sinek. Sinek uh, um, he, if you catch him on YouTube or stuff, he is just uh, a phenomenal, you know, inspirer and leader. And uh, he got me to, uh, I ask all my people this, do you like what you do? Do you feel safe? What do you want to do next? And if, if anything comes from a development standpoint of how do we make a helper into an assistant driller into a driller, like the two men that are behind me right there, um, it's, do you like what you do? Because they're going to apply. They're going to apply. Do you feel safe? You know, we went on some pretty crazy projects, you know, Brian and Tyler and I on uh, Kinder Morgan pipelines and NICOR pipelines and uh, into refineries on cathodic jobs where we wore, you know, five gas monitors the entire time we were there. Um, ask those guys, do you feel safe today? Brock, this is a, this is a little bit crazier than I thought it was going to be being in here in this, you know, refinery. It's like, what can we do? What, what would you guys like so we can feel safer? Um, let's get a meter for the rig. Let's all wear a meter. Perfect. Do you feel better? Yes. And then what do you want to do next? Let's, uh, let's go drill this next project. You know, can we, can we try this solids control unit? Uh, I want to run foam on this instead of mud. And those three things, those two guys that are standing behind me, we worked together for about 12 months all over the country. Uh, they're both less than 30. They made good choices. We had a lot of fun and laughed together. Um, both could run the rig. Both, uh, you, you know, you can uh, see they're standing there. They got pride in what they're doing. That job site was immaculate. and. Uh, I was really happy with how they turned out. And it's exactly what you just said, Dave, about, you know, that safety is, you know, between the ears. It is. And that's, um, that's where we got to go if we want to develop people, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's going to conclude this podcast. Uh, it is. Hopefully, hopefully that uh, everyone listening enjoyed it. And we will see you the next time that we do one of these. Uh, probably two weeks or so, uh, maybe sooner. Uh, we'll see. But uh, everyone stay safe out there and uh, have a wonderful uh, rest of your day and week and uh, be safe. Keep turning to the right. Awesome. Thanks, everybody.